Did you notice that man in the video clip? He didn't um, pray that God would help him in that persecution. He prayed that more people come to know the love of the Lord. That really, that really blessed me. <laughs> um, the reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'd look it up if I were you. It's on page 1166 in the Bible, if you've got the Pew Bible. It's complicated. <laughs> it would help you to follow it. Page 1166. Paul's carrying on from the bit we read last week. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Let us continue to pray as Steve has led us. Let's pray. Father, as we've heard from your word, now hear from the message and exp exposition of, of the scriptures, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Steve and Tim and Ivan, who invited us here this morning, I'd like to thank you for your warm welcome. Uh, I'd just like to say something about myself so you haven't had a chance to uh, read the newsletter. I am with the Arab World Ministries Pioneers, or was. We are retired, and we first went to Cairo in 1976. So the material this morning comes out of a long association with many Christians who've come out of Islam, who were Muslims, who came to Christ, and I have several friends who are believers from Muslim backgrounds and who have faced persecution. So it comes out of friendship with persecuted, the persecuted church. Perfect in Weakness was the title of this morning's session. I'm going to give a, you a subtitle, which is I Delight in Persecution, coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. I delight in persecution. 
Prince Charles is quoted as saying on his recent trip to Colombia that the threat to Christians in the Middle East is an an indescribable tragedy. He was speaking after a new report has concluded that Christians are the most persecuted religious group in a world in which religious freedom is in serious decline. Now, faith communities have suffered persecution from time immemorial. But in the last 50 years, groups like Amnesty International, Open Doors, Christian Solidarity, Middle East Concern, and Barnabas, just to mention a few organizations, have brought the subject to center stage. I want to begin first, though, with a rapid overview of persecution in the scriptures, in the Bible. I pick three instances in the New Testament, the children of, in, in, children of Israel in Egypt prior to the Exodus, the books of Daniel and Esther. These accounts teach us about the Jewish community striving to keep itself holy and separate from pagan culture, both in Egypt and, of course, later on in exile. And then they face the ire of opposition in those communities for being different. But eventually Yahweh, in his grace and mercy, liberates and vindicates their cause. In the New Testament, we discover in the Gospels, Jesus warning the disciples that the new community of his followers will face opposition. Here's a a reading from Matthew chapter 24, verse 9. Then you'll be handed over to to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. You can see a parallel expanded text in Mark chapter 13, verses 9 to 11. The book of Acts is full of instances of individuals and early Christian communities suffering for their faith in Jesus. And then there are many references in Paul's letters to his own personal suffering and experience of persecution. The book of Hebrews has several descriptions of persecution, the one that we had on the screen at the end of the presentation from Open Doors, but here's another from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. And then finally, the book of Revelation makes reference to persecution coming upon the church in Smyrna. And then we follow through the events of the apocalypse and with the seasons of persecution to the great and glorious consummation. Now, from this very rapid overview of the whole of Scripture, we learn that it's normative for the church, the followers of Jesus, the people of God, to be persecuted. Every church, the people of God, had their season of suffering. If we are doing God's will, then persecution will come, will happen. So why does God allow his beloved children to be persecuted? Paul wrote, remember, I delight in persecution. Why should any Christian delight in persecution? 
Well, I've got seven reasons for you. They're very rapid ones, but please bear with me. Firstly, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he says that the persecution he is facing is advancing the gospel. Philippians 1.13 Suffering gives credibility to the message he preaches. If you can imagine, my friends, uh, some of my friends have said that to me. If you are suffering for your faith, then people say that person must have deep faith in Jesus Christ. So it, it furthers the cause of the gospel. Secondly, suffering identifies the believer with the suffering of Jesus. It is a privilege to experience what Christ experienced on the cross. Romans 8 verse 17, Paul writes this, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. It's a privilege for our brothers and sisters to share in the sufferings of Christ. Thirdly, being identified with the suffering of Jesus is a cause for joy. Not this time Paul writing, but Peter in his first letter, chapter 4, verse 13. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Didn't we hear that on the presentation? There's a joy that comes when there is suffering and persecution. Fourthly, persecution tests the faithfulness of the church. Fifthly, persecution purifies the church because those of no faith are unlikely to stay. My friends, particularly in, in Algeria, where there is a people's movement amongst the Kabyls, where many Kabyl Muslims are coming to Christ, speak of this. They speak that once a Kabyl comes to Christ from Islam, is baptized, then they are ready for persecution. But those who are not true followers of Jesus soon melt away and leave the church if they are not firmly rooted in Christ. Sixthly, persecution grows godly character, faithfulness. I was talking in the first service about my friend who's a, from the Gulf states, one of the Gulf states who became a Christian in Stoke-on-Trent uh, recently. And he has found, as he's shared his faith with Muslims, Asian Muslims in Stoke-on-Trent, that he's grown to be dependent on God. He listens regularly to the New Testament on his iPhone, and he's grown into that dependence and faithfulness uh, in, in Christ. He's grown to be persevering, and his life has become a life of consecration. And then seventhly and lastly in this little section, in Christ, our being persecuted is Christ's himself ongoing identification with his people. It's that strange passage from Paul's letter to, to the Colossians, chapter 1 and verse 24, where he says, he writes to the Colossians, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering with you, and I fill up 
in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So there's that identification of the persecuted believer with Christ himself going on sharing in suffering. Now I have two good friends, Christians from Muslim backgrounds, who testify that in the first flush of their new life in Christ, they knew God in such a way, such a special way, that it has never been repeated for them as since. One was in prison for 90 days and experienced intense pressure to return to Islam. And the other was condemned to death by his Muslim community, rejected by his family, made homeless and relentlessly pursued until he left his country. Now both these men talk about a closeness to God never experienced since. It's a shame in one sense, but it talks about that intensity of relationship, of joy, of sharing in God's glory as a persecuted Christian. So where is persecution happening? I have brought along copies of the Open Doors map for everyone to take home with them. If you're a couple, you may only have one between the two of you. But do please take it away. It's a useful tool. But I want to draw from this map just three kinds of persecution. The first would be the ideological persecution, like communism, which is shown here by North Korea, Vietnam, and China. Ideological persecution. The second would be Islamic persecution, mainly of Christians from Muslim backgrounds, but increasingly Christians of established and formerly protected churches. Some of you may know that in Islam, we're called people of the book, Ahlul Kitab, Jews and Christians. And under Islamic law, the Muslim state is expected to protect its dhimni, its minority peoples. So what's been going on in ISIS is quite outside normal Islam. But we're seeing today uh, Christians in, in, in Iraq and recently in Kenya, the latest situation in Kenya, if you couldn't recite some part of the Quran, they were killing them. So Islamic persecution. And then the third category would be other religious contexts, other Christian denominations, for example. I heard recently of the, of, of the number of Eastern Ukrainian evan evangelicals being killed. There were four evangelicals killed. Really, the opposition from the Orthodox Church. Then there'll be, under this heading, there'll be syncretism. So, for example, in Mexico, the evangelical Chiapas peoples have been persecuted by their syncretistic neighbors. And a third uh, heading here would be other religious fundamentalist groups. For example, in India, the radical fundamentalist Hindus uh, attacking uh, Christians. So, ideological persecution, Islamic persecution, other religious persecution. Finally, what should our response be 
to persecuted Christians and the persecuted church. Got eight quick points here to leave with you. Listen carefully because they will not be in, in the order that you think they should be. The first is, if the opportunity arises, invite persecuted Christians to pray for you. Invite the persecuted church to pray for us. The second point I want to make is ask the question, we need to ask the question of ourselves, why are we not being persecuted? Have we become like the ineffectual, lukewarm, consumer-orientated, theologically wishy-washy, religiously privatized churches that we find at the beginning of the book of Revelation? Go back and look at the book of Revelation. Have we become like some of those churches? And now, the point that you thought would come at the beginning. Pray for the individuals, churches, perpetrators, persecutors, and the advocates. So pray as we pray today. And then fourthly, engage in advocacy on behalf of persecuted Christians and the church. I, I remember Tim in the first service said that sometimes you do fill out and sign up the forms that Barnabas might send to you, the Barnabas Fund group might send to you. Write letters in addition to signing petitions. Write to your MP when there is a case that you feel you can write about. So engage in advocacy. Fifthly, give financially, especially for the advocacy, advocacy groups. People think, well, shouldn't we give directly to the persecuted church? And I'll come on to that in a moment. But the advocates are working at the highest level, working in, in Parliament, working in the Senate in the States. Uh, I have several friends who spend a lot of time working with high-level political and commercial uh, individuals. So encourage that through your giving. And then in terms of the persecuted church itself, my sixth point would be, help, would be to help them in the provision of educational and spiritual materials. When I was the director of the Radio School of the Bible in Marseille, France, broadcasting into North Africa, we soon discovered that many Christians from Muslim backgrounds fell away from following Christ because they weren't ready for persecution and opposition. So we developed a course, a Bible correspondence course for them to prepare them for persecution. And I think that's a great way of encouraging the persecuted church. It's helping them to withstand and flourish through times of difficulty. The seventh along the same line would be financial support for the persecuted church. Think in terms of food, of shelter, people get expelled from their homes sometimes, medical, clothing, children's resources, jobs and skills training. You've seen how effective that can be in, in Jordan, for example, micro-business creation. Helping persecuted Christians who've maybe lost their family, lost their homes, lost their jobs. 
know somebody in our own local area who had a very high professional job in the world of commerce, was studying in this country at MA level, became a Christian, he and his wife, and lost everything, is now being retrained to do something different from what he was doing before. So helping Christians in the persecuted church be able to look after themselves and remain in their own societies. That's a very important point. Our giving should not encourage them to become dependent upon the Western church. And the eighth point is that in, in the most extreme cases, assist in relocation. In other words, work with the persecuted Christian or family in the asylum seeker process. We've had the privilege uh, ourselves in, in recent years to work with one uh, lady and we've also worked, I've worked a little bit most recently with a couple who came to Christ from a Muslim background to work alongside them in that process of asylum seeking and perhaps even here receive somebody into your congregation and area. So I began with a, a rather strange subtitle taken from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the passage we had read to us. I delight in persecution. I hope that I've shown you that Paul's words are not as bizarre as they first appear. As we are reminded in the New Testament, we're reminded that the New Testament says some very positive things about persecution. It's what interesting that you picked up in the prayers about the pastor praying that more people would come to Christ. We must not be cowed or intimidating into giving or even praying because of the dreadful stories we will hear. Rather, we must see ourselves as partners with the persecuted. We, if you like, are co-workers who, for a season, don't have the privilege to suffer for our faith in Jesus. We're in partnership. We are the same church. We are one together. Let's remember that. We are co-workers who, for a season, don't have the privilege to suffer for our faith in Jesus. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father God, we've seen how you have used persecution throughout the ages in the Old and New Testaments. We've learned how, in fact, persecution can be a privilege, can be a joy, it can be sharing in the sufferings of Jesus himself. Father, thank you for that privilege. We've seen where it is through different uh, communities and contexts, ideological persecution, Islamic persecution, and other religions. And Father, we've tasted a little bit of what we can do for the persecuted church and for Christians in those churches. Father, help us to see that we are one church. We are partners and co-workers together. So Father, help us to apply these things in our life and our church. In Jesus' name, amen.